2: Welcome to the fall podcast. I am your host Aaron Blasey and this is episode number 98 and on today's episode we are covering part two of the bow build with Cody and Jeremiah from Wild Arrow Archery. And welcome back to the fall podcast and like I said we are covering part two of the bow build with Cody and Jeremiah today. It's just me with these guys justin is actually off at a trade show right now so it's just me with these guys and we get into some nitty gritty stuff here and some very detailed stuff and it's all about how to set the bow up we got it fitted in part one with the poundage and draw length and all stuff like that now we're going to be bolting a rest on d loop finding knocking point and center shot and paper tuning so we're going to cover all that but before we get into that i definitely want to cover a few things here And the first one is I want everybody to be able to go over to IAMHumanimal.com to check out all the exclusive discounts that we have on our website for products that we use. So if you guys want to go over there, go to www.iamhumanimal.com to check out the exclusive discounts. Use those codes. I mean, anything from America's Best Bowstrings to Matthews to Garmin to you, know, you name it, whatever we use, they're going to be on there. So if they're not on there, then we don't have a code for them right now. We have transitioned the website over from Kiefer Brothers to Humanimal. So it's IamHumanimal.com. That's our new brand. That's where we're going. And there's some really exciting things coming up, and I can't wait to start unrolling all this stuff. And I've been getting a lot of direct messages and a lot of people asking me when the YouTube episodes are going to start coming back. We're going to start rolling these babies out here in the next week or two. And I'm excited because the Great Hambino episode is almost done. I'm almost wrapped it up. And I'm excited to show everybody it because it's fun for me because I got to relive it in the edit bay. It's cool to go back and look at all those encounters and the day-to-day that happen because you get so wrapped up into what's going on and decisions you're making there that you kind of let it I don't know it kind of slips by so fast now you know a couple months after it's happened I get to relive it in the edit bay and it just brings back some cool memories and I can't wait to share that with everybody else so excited about that we got some good podcasts coming up like I said, we're you know we're branching out and getting some different topics in, and uh, I'm excited, and it's being well received because the downloads and support that we're getting is just ridiculous, and I I can't thank everybody enough, and if you could just please keep going, I I know I keep beating a dead horse, I feel like every week, but I I want to keep reminding everybody to go and leave a five-star rating and maybe leave some feedback. And the reason being is because that, that's what gives us motivation to keep going as well. And it also helps us on iTunes and Podbean and and everything right there with, with the rankings and how everybody gets to see it all, see the fall podcast that might not be subscribed to it. So it helps that grow as well. So it just gives us motivation, helps the podcast grow, and it's really appreciated. With all that being said, I'm just going to, I'm going to get it over to this interview that I did with Cody and Jeremiah for part two. And, uh, I just want to leave you guys with, hopefully you're out there getting ready for shed season, or you might be shed hunting right now. I know in Michigan, it's brutally cold here right now. I'm excited to get out and get some hinge cutting done. And I'm, you know, moving a new blind into the one acre So hopefully that's going to happen here within the next week or two I'm hoping so I'll keep you guys updated on that and uh, I've got a special project that I'm hopefully going to start letting everybody know what it is here in the next couple weeks maybe month and I think a lot of people will enjoy it hopefully so I'll let everybody know that when the time comes but with that being said I'm going to jump over to this interview with these guys and get into the details of the bow build part 2. All right, we're back again today for part two of the Bow Build series with Cody and Jeremiah from Wild Arrow. Guys, what's going on?
1: Hey, we're doing good out here, man.
3: Good, man. Good to talk to you again.
2: Yeah, good talking to you guys. You know, we covered the part one uh, not too long ago, and we were talking about more of, like, getting fit for a bow and and, – you know, string angle and, you know, the, the poundage of the bow and what your draw length should be. So now I want to take it a step further and I kind of want to talk about the setup of the bow. So we got the bow picked out and everything. I want to start running down the, the steps that you guys take. Uh, you know, from A to Z to, to get that bow shooting a bullet hole through paper tuning and uh, explaining a little bit more along that step. So if you guys could take it from there, I'll, I'll let one of you guys take whoever wants to do it and start it out and uh, and we'll go from there if that sounds good.
1: Yeah, yeah, not a problem. So, yeah, once we, once we go through the uh, process of letting our customers select what bow, you um, you know, kind of how we have our shop laid out uh, across our walls is as far as importance of picking the accessories. And, and we tell all of our customers the number one most important accessory they're going to pick for their bow is the rest. We, we care about that more than anything. And so, you know, depending on what model of bow the customer chooses, we'll kind of determine what direction we can steer them in as far as the rest selection goes. Um, And we have found that for the most part, almost every rest we can get to tune on a bow, but there are certain bows that like particular rests. And so, um, you know, we'll go through, show the customer some options as far as what rest will work better for their setup. Um, And then from there, that's, that's, you know, we'll go back and uh, back into our tuning room. And that's where we start that tuning process with that bow. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to get that rest bolted on. Everything's leveled and squared properly. Make sure that, uh, you know, the launcher angle is where it needs to be and all that. Um, and then what we like to do is in the past, we used to use levels. Uh, we used to use some levels from a company called Banhandle and they were great. We really liked them. um, but uh, nowadays, what we're using is actually a T-square. And Cody kind of taught me that trick. You know, Cody's had a lot of experience. He used to work out at Hoyt. Uh, and, and he'd that trick from those guys. And the T-square is just a really simple tool. Uh, it's inexpensive. It's something that a guy can have in his archery tackle box and take with him everywhere. So we'll put that, um, that T-handle on the string and make sure we kind of start the knocking point uh, at right where we want to be there um and then once we get the the loop set and everything close we're going to determine what air shaft that the customer is going to want to shoot next because you know going through and paper tuning you know we could tune various arrows for the customer kind of like we talked about in the first podcast but we're going to grab whatever arrow that customer wants to shoot and you know luckily in the back room where we have all of our tuning is we have a, a just a wide variety of arrows and different spines and different lengths so if a customer is torn between two arrows, we can usually f- kind of go through our, our selection of arrows, find the two that he's torn between, and actually start shooting them through the bow and see if one does tune a little bit cleaner than the other. So I got that's, you. that's a good starting point for us.
2: Okay. So... Figuring out what kind of rest you want to put at it. Now, are you guys more? I know it's probably personal preference, but are you more of like a cable-driven rest or a limb-driven rest? You know, as I know, there's a lot of variations out there. But what are you guys more particular and
3: lean towards? Um, so those two rests are ones that are—they're both going to work. So um, there's there's the 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 bits, big difference between the two was people would say. That say you're running the cable-driven rests, right? So the guys that really like the limb-driven rests would say that the cable-driven rests are bad because say your strings and cables stretch, right? You're, you get your bow all tuned, you go out and you shoot it, and then a cable stretches and now your rest timings off and accuracy's gone and it doesn't work right. And that's why guys started leaning to the limb-driven rests is because off of the limb, the limb's a more solid platform. It's not going to stretch. It's not going to lose tension um it's going to be a, a more stable platform so the guys that run the limb driven rest that was their argument was hey this is going to be solid i don't have to worry about a cable stretching and throw my rest off um with today's new cable systems and, and and how good strings and cables are getting these days we don't really have issues with setting a cable driven rest going out and shooting that rest and then having that rest come out of time or not fall properly because of, of strings and cable stretching. And so that, that's kind of something of the past. Uh, that's not really an issue nowadays. It's more of the function of the rest is what we look for. Um, when you run a cable driven rest, you don't have that big cable attached to a limb that, that is kind of obnoxious to some people and they worry about catching it on a brush or, or something like that. And so for the guy that's that's a little nervous of a big cable coming off of a rest, clear up to either the top limb or the bottom limb, that guy's going to be a cable-driven type of guy. And you know, I I run both. Um, we run a lot of a lot of QAD type stuff where you're getting containment out of the launcher, but it's a cable-driven. And then we also run a lot of the limb-driven stuff in say like a hamsky um we're a big fan of the hamsky stuff and so if you're telling guys which one to choose you can't really go wrong with either one they both work really well if you get a good wrist manufacturer that's a good solid system they're gonna work the advantage i'd say a little bit to a limb driven is i feel like i get just a little bit more accuracy out of it and, and by accuracy out of it i mean that rest stays up just a little bit longer. So it guides the arrow shaft a little bit longer through the shot um, and then drops out of the way more last second to where if you run like a QAD type system, they fall really quickly so that you you don't have any risk of getting vein clearance if it's set up properly. Um, and we're talking small amounts, right? Like if I want to go out and shoot just stupid groups at 80, 90 yards I feel like that limb driven rest will give me just a little bit more forgiveness, but uh, like I said, it's not to say that any cable driven rest can't do that. Um, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and the reason why I ask is cause I've ran both in the past as well. And I'm more of a limb driven guy now. And, um, you know, a lot of people, that's what I say when people look at a, a lot of my friends, they say, don't do you, you know, what's that cable going up to your, your limb? Like, is it getting away of things? And I've, I've, had a cable driven rest for the last 2 years now and i haven't come into a a scenario yet where i've really got it hooked on something or it's been in the way but my whole thing with the cable driven or not cable i'm sorry limb driven um all i'm running limb driven i'm sorry so go back the reason why i want to do it is funny you said the accuracy accuracy i saw was so much better at longer distances for me as well but also I could tune it out in the field basically as long as that rest didn't move and if let's say the cable just broke or something I could use I would keep loop material in my in my bag and I could put that back on there and I'm good to go so that was yeah. that was like a big selling point for me it was it was easier to kind of tune in the field if you needed to.
3: Oh yeah, 100%. People get nervous because they look at that big cord and it, it looks scary. They're like, whoa, what is this? I don't know what that's for. It's really big and long and I don't. it's hooked to a limb and it, it, looks, it looks scary for sure. But like you said, um, it's so much easier to work with. And then if you move a cable, say I do catch a cable, right? And then some magical reason or something happens and it cuts it. If you have, like you said, extra material... You could even use a shoelace on some of these rests yeah, if you yep. had a, one, right? You tie it up, and as long as that rest is – is, um, you, as long as you have a little bit of tension on that rest, it, it doesn't change impact. And that's what's super cool for me is, I like I said, I run that ski and they have that new slide system. So if I'm doing any tuning or I want to mess with anything, I just slide it, loosen it. I can now check my level, my knock height, any of that stuff, slide it back down, put it back to tension, and boom, my impact didn't change. So – yeah, I think a lot of people are nervous of them because they just don't understand how they work. But if you run, say, uh, a lot of these quiver systems nowadays, right? If you run like a two-piece quiver on a Matthews, right? I ran it on my Verdicts last year. That two-piece quiver, the way that it was set up, and once I had my arrows in the in the quiver, a, a lot of that cord was kind of hidden and covered yeah, up. Yep. You know, and so I'd have to go through my arrows to get to that cord in order to cut that. And by that time, I've done something so crazy that. My arrows are probably going to be damaged, too. Right. Yep. But not to take away from the QAD-type rests. I mean, if you're going to run a cable-driven rest, um, QAD makes a phenomenal rest for all bow manufacturers. Uh, They have that new integrated one that works great with the Matthews. It works on the Hoyts now. Uh, And I've had really good luck with those rests. They're simple. They work. They have full containment. You can let down on them, which is a big deal. If you're running a Hamski or or any sort of limb-driven, when you draw back, a lot of those rests when you let down are going to fall. So if you don't control that let down, your arrow will bounce around a little bit more than, say, a QAD where you've got a, a smaller launcher and more containment. And so, you know, for the guy that's nervous about the limb driven, I'll just run them into a QAD because I know it works. I know it's simple. I know it's going to do the job. But for that guy that wants that next level of accuracy or tinkering ability in the field, the the limb driven rests are the way to go for sure.
2: I got you. Okay. So I want to take a a turn here and I want to talk about, let's say we got the rest bolted on and trying to figure out where the knocking point should be. So what are some steps to take to try to figure out
3: where the knocking point needs to be and everything is level? Yeah. So I I learned a lot um, over the years about this, right? There's a lot of of stuff on the internet you choose read that says hey you know 13 16th needs to be your center shot and you need to have your knocking point exactly at zero or um, zero meaning perfectly level perfectly 90 degree to the string Uh, and i'll get a lot of customers that come in that will look at their bow and go well this looks knock high this doesn't look right isn't that supposed to be level uh, and the answer is no. It it's not always going to be level. Um, certain bows are designed with certain types of knock travel, meaning when that arrow is coming forward on the string, some bows just aren't capable of delivering that arrow on a perfectly straight line. And so there's there's not a specific spot, but there is a recommended um, there's a recommended uh, in type of Hey, it should be between here and here. This is the acceptable range. And a lot of times I'll tune bows anywhere from zero, perfectly 90, some of them work there, all the way up to a quarter-inch knock high. Mm-hmm. And and you can even go on certain bows depending how they're running, rest, aero spine, cam design. I've even had bows that want to tune an eighth-inch knock low. Really? Um, yeah, and, and and that's acceptable because – when you shoot the bow, the ultimate goal is to get it to shoot that nice, pretty bullet hole. Right. That's what everybody wants. Yep. And you can do that in a variety of different ways. Right. But if I had to set the the level to say two inches, knock high to achieve that, then something's wrong. Right. But if I'm between, if I'm between an eighth inch, knock low to a quarter inch, knock high, that's well within an acceptable range for me. Um, I don't panic at that point that, that to me is fine. Um, I just shoot the bow. I usually I'll start at about an eighth inch knock high. That's kind of split the difference, right? Go an eighth inch knock high, set the level there, center shot. Um, thirteen sixteenths is the number that everyone throws out there. Um, that's a good starting point from but, the riser, uh,
2: right? So you're measuring from the, from the riser, riser yeah. to the middle yes. of your from arrow. From the
3: riser to the middle of the arrow. <laughs> yep. You're anywhere from thirteen 16th, seven eighths, three quarter, somewhere around there. Every bow's a little different too. Um, but again, these are all just starting points. I think a lot of people don't understand that. Um, they think that there's this magical, Hey, set it here, set it here. Boom. My bow should tune. Um, and, and I just like to educate customers on, Hey, it's okay. If you're maybe a little bit inside of that 13, or a little bit outside. I know a lot of older bows, older magnesium type bows, they tuned at an inch outside and, That's just where that bow's riser flex and design and cable guard, that's where that bow wanted to shoot. Um, Nowadays, with the advancements in bows, you've got cable guards that are taking and and reducing torque on the riser. You've got new riser designs, right? Matthews just did that new VXR and the way that they've bridged the riser. You don't get as much flex. So center shot and level knock height are are references um and they they can vary a little bit and there's no one set in stone this is where it needs to be um so i think if most guys if they're say they're tuning their bows at home right um if you take and set it at 90 degrees or an eighth inch knock high that's a good starting point and then center shot yeah run the 13 16th as a starting point but don't panic if you have to move it inside or outside because let's you know arrow spine's a big deal hand torque is huge i think hand torque is one of the biggest things guys overlook is they grab their bow and they're like it's not tuning um when i worked at hoyt running the warranty department i'd get bows back for tuning all the time and i would grab the bow check the stuff and shoot it and it'd be fine for me and it's really hard to explain to a guy that hey you're just gripping the bow improperly (laughs) and that's why it's shooting funny so can't I mean there's so many variables that play with this. Um, it's really hard to narrow them all down and just give a guy a detail, right? Because one thing affects another. And so, starting points. That, that's one thing I want to hit again. It's just starting points. You know, zero or an eighth inch knock high on your knock height um, is a good starting point. Like Jeremiah said, we use a bow square because it's it's very it's a very accurate way of um, of setting that up. You you know bow squares are easy to get they're cheap click that on the string set it into your rest as far as uh, in the launcher set it down into the V groove of the launcher and then use the bottom of your arrow shaft as your reference right on that T square you're gonna have numbers and, and hash marks You're when you do that use the bottom of the arrow shaft as your reference not the top of the knock
2: I got you so are you actually putting that T bar you know the the bow square in there when the arrow's loaded.
3: Nope. So what I'll do is I'll load the bow square in there, right? As if I'm loading an arrow, right? Click it onto the string, make sure it's clicked on the string nice and snug. And then I'll slide that T-square down into where the, the T part of it is sitting in the rest launcher blade in the up position. Yep. And make sure that um, it's just barely touching the launcher blade, right? And I've got that good 90 degree off the string with the T-square. Then I just take the arrow and I flip it around backwards and put the knock backwards against the string and and eyeball that references so I can see where the bottom of the knock groove is going to sit in relationship to the hash marks.
2: Okay, now can you explain to everybody what like the bow square actually you're doing with the bow square?
3: Yeah, so the bow square is basically giving me my knock height. Okay, right? so yep. I've got yeah i've got hash marks on this bow square it clicks onto the string it looks like a. some of them are l-shaped it's more of an l-shape versus a t-square the old old school ones used to be a a t square um a lot of the old school guys that used to run aluminum stuff back in the day that was the only way to level stuff is they're like you don't can't do it without a T square (laughs) Uh, and nowadays nowadays they're more l-shaped i know easton makes them you can find them on lancaster Uh, if you look up a bow square Um, you'll be able to find it. And it's got hash marks. Recurve shooters use them all the time to measure their brace heights and a bunch of other stuff. But um, it's a very simple tool. Levels are good. There's a bunch of leveling systems out there and laser systems and all that kind of hoopla you can use. But when it comes down to setting up your bow, grab yourself a T-square. You can use it for many different things. And then that way, when you take a loop off, need to replace a loop, you know exactly where you're putting it. Um, and uh, I think Jeremiah has actually done some videos on YouTube um, where we used that, um, where people can reference that as well.
2: Awesome. Now, I, I do have one question about finding, you know, the knock point. Also, I've heard of guys basically measuring the axle to axle and then dividing that by two. Is that is that another way to be able to do that, or is that kind of something that is
3: – no. Uh, yeah it's 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 not as accurate and the reason why is because bows nowadays true center of the axles is not necessarily true center of the burger hole okay a lot of these bows nowadays are actually the grip is shifted below center um and so you could use that axle axle measurement but it's it's a lot more complicating at that point um using a bow square throwing it in the rest and then uh, another point too that might help is when you throw the boat like a bow square on there, I want the bottom of the bow square as it dissects the burger hole um, on the sh- on the rest shelf, okay where, so where your rest is going to bolt into the, the riser, that hole is called the burger hole. That is basically where you want your arrow to dissect through right? And it, and it can vary. It can be the bottom of your arrow shaft dissects right at the bottom of the burger hole, middle of the burger hole, or top of the burger hole. You have, again, a, a little bit of variables there um, and a little bit of, of room to play. It doesn't have to be perfectly in the middle. But if you put that bow square in there and your rest is sitting properly on your on your riser, that bottom of the bow square, as if it was your the bottom of your air shaft, it should come across the bottom of the burger hole, right? And then that's where you're gonna get your knock height measurement. Doing if a bow is perfectly square from top to bottom, the grip was perfectly centered, the burger hole is perfectly center in the riser, then you could do axle axle measurements. Um, that just to me that just seems like too much work. Gotcha. <laughs> I just throw the bow square okay. in there. It's so much simpler. I,
2: I've heard of some guys doing that and I've never tried it and just wanted to know, you know, what your guys' thoughts were on it. So Um, yeah and
3: and if you get crazy right like your target archers um a lot of your target archery guys will actually set the loop um heights in relationship to how the bow is actually aiming okay if you bring if you bring the loop up higher on the string right you're going to be pulling more from towards the top cam so that's going to kick the bottom of the bow out if you slide the loop down a little bit you start pulling more from the bottom of the bow Right. And now we're talking small amounts still within the burger hole window. Right. If you, if you bring a loop down, it's going to force the top of the bow forward. Right. So if a guy's having aiming issues and he wants to get uber crazy on tuning, moving the loop could even change how the bow aims. I got you. Okay. I never even thought of it that way. Yeah. You can get pretty crazy. I mean, like, so that's pretty advanced, but there's, there's many things you can do with the loop, but for the most part, T square it, get it within that eighth inch knock high, zero range and that's a good starting point and then at, at the end of the day you got to fire that through paper um and see what it does but you also got to make sure cam sync um i know you wanted to touch on that yeah a let's, bit. let's get
2: right into that since you're you're kind of going that way let's talk about timing and cam sync
3: yeah it all it all plays into the same thing right so it's like start from the bottom up right if, if someone's working on their form um they're gonna go from their feet First, right get their feet square and then work their way up same thing with a bow you don't really want to mess with a whole lot until you get the cams where they need to be okay cam sync is when both cams are rolling together at the same time so they're both going to start at brace height you draw the bow and they're both going to contact the cable stops or limb stops whichever you've got at the same time um and i like to start there not saying that i'll finish it there Again, there's variables there, but that's where I like to start, making sure that they're set even, cams are rolling to where they need to be, and they're hitting the stops, whichever stops they are, at the same time. That's a good starting point. And then cam lean is another thing people panic about. Um, There's a lot of stuff on the internet right now. People lose their minds over cam lean. Well, it's not starting straight or it's not finishing straight and so on. Um, It's not as big of a deal as make people make it. Um, And there are ways to tune it, and we can go down that rabbit hole later. (laughs) Um, But usually from the factory, they're set pretty decent. Um, So cam lean, I don't get too crazy about right off the bat. I just set my cam sync, get the level square, um, and then start going from there.
2: So you're you're setting your – let's say we've got – The rest and everything in the D loop in and your knocking point and your, you know, your center shot and everything set. So now to, would you go and time, your cams after that, or would you, I mean, I guess you'd have to, because of your D loop, you'd have to have something on there to put your draw
3: board. Correct yeah if you so (laughs) i'm crazy i just pull it back on a draw hook without any loop or anything (laughs) you are crazy (laughs) but but i uh i've been doing it a long time and i and i can keep equal pressure on both sides of the handle um and i just i'll just throw it up on the hook with a, a bare serving and make sure that the hook is in line with the burger hole again like if i was to draw a straight line down from the hook i pull a hook on the wall and i pull the boat down um for my sinking and then i've got uh like i said i'll just hook the hook on eyeball it to the burger hole and that gets me started right so that way i know hey cams are synced relatively square then i do the loop after if you're feeling nervous about that what you can do is um just put a loop on without tying any little tied knots that's in between it so your loop can move um eyeball that real quick with the burger hole get the loop on there snug it to where it won't slide Um, and then you can check your cam sync and cam stuff. Um, if, if you do the loop first, which, which you can, you're just going to have to maybe backtrack a little bit. If you do the loop first, right. And you eyeball it and then you draw it in the board and your cam syncs off. If you adjust cam sync at that point, you now need to go back and re-level your loop.
2: Okay. I got you. Because as
3: you, as you speed up one cam on the top or slow one cam down, um, as you adjust which cams are moving faster or slower to get the sync on, it will actually change your knocking point.
2: Gotcha. Okay. And that, I think that's a lot a good, of
3: people pretty, yeah, get that. Yeah, yeah,
2: get the cart before the horse kind of thing. I can. Yes. See that.
3: Yep. Yeah, I see people that they basically get ahead of themselves. They'll set the loop, then they go do timing or sync, and then they go paper tune and go, "Well, it's not shooting right. Something's wrong. I leveled it. I swear I leveled it. I promise you I leveled it." And I'm like, "Well." which step did you do it in because one affects the other
2: right so would you recommend just throwing like a uh, a loop on and lining up good and then you know put in the draw board then and then replacing that loop once you get it timed yeah okay yep. gotcha Yep.
3: or or if, if or if you're good at I mean, I mean my fingers are pretty strong i can untie the knot and then just slide the loop and then retie it and i can use the same loop gotcha um and and do it that way but um it, it it just depends on what step they want to do and how much work they want to do right I yep. said a I said a, I said I do it without the loop if you're gonna do a loop for safety, which is probably safe, right not everyone's as crazy as I am um do a do a loop, set the sink, go back and relevel the loop, then check the sink again to verify, then go forward.
2: okay that makes total sense because a lot I mean you could have i've I've seen them before where your your cam sync can be, like two twists, you know, from a cable or something like that out of sync. And that's, that can move, move stuff a lot.
3: Oh yeah. That can move a loop an eighth inch
2: sometimes. Yep. Definitely. And then you're
3: just chasing, you're just chasing your tail. Like, what am I doing? The rest is wrong. And then you start doing a bunch of stuff that you don't need to do. And if you just slow down, document what you're doing and go in certain steps. Right. You won't fight yourself.
2: For sure. Okay, let's move on. So we've got all that set. Let's say the bow is in time. So now we're going to throw the arrow through paper. Now walk us through paper tuning, and I would like to try to get into the types of tears and how to correct them as well if we can.
3: Yeah, we'll let Jeremiah start on this one. He likes paper tuning. It's his favorite thing
1: because <laughs> they all shoot so different. <laughs> Yeah, when we get into that to the paper tuning stage, um, you know, depending on what rest the guy's running, um, you know, I'll have him step back and we'll shoot that first arrow and just kind of analyze what result we we seen there. Um, it's a bore shot. Yeah, that's a good co- point. Cody called it the, the bore shot, and so you know, kind of analyzing what we're seeing as far as like if it's a vertical or a horizontal tear, um, you know. If correcting a tear on a bow from a six to a twelve o'clock position um, is usually a knocking point issue, a cam sink issue. Um it could be a spine issue. So one of the bigger things we're seeing nowadays with these newer bows is you know it used to be thinking that if you had a left or right tear, that was a weak or a stiff arrow, but we're actually seeing instances where a uh, two weak or stiff of an arrow will actually give us some, um, some six to a 12 o'clock tear changes through really? paper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's very common. And uh, so, yeah, I tell guys, if you're starting to see that, um, you know, cause like we'll have guys that'll come in here where they'll be fighting like a knock low tear. So they'll keep moving their knocking point up to where they clip their arrow on the string. And it's, you can tell it's visibly way out of spec, but they're, they say, that, hey, that's where this had to tune at. And the first thing we look at uh, after that is usually that aero spine, especially if the cam sink is set there correctly. So um, the other thing, too, though, that um, you know depending on the rest, like if you're talking a limb-driven rest, even, even though it's a limb-driven, there is still a timing position on that rest. And depending on the length of the limb of the bow will determine where you're going to tie that cable onto. And so if you tie the let's say like on a prime they've got those little notches on the back side of the axle yep because that limb is so short we can actually tie a lot of cable driven or limb driven rest right to that cable but if you have a different bow like a Hoyt or that that limb is longer sometimes it doesn't like to be tied out there that close to the axle so one thing you we can change on a tear, for especially in a vertical uh, from that six to twelve o'clock, is by moving the position of that cable farther away or closer to the axle. Okay. Uh, that is actually is what's changing the rest timing on a limb driven rest, and it's going to vary from bow to bow, and I think it does vary based off a of draw length. Like if you got some of these cams that can go from a say a twenty five inch draw length cam all the way to thirty it might like a different position on that limb based off the amount of limb movement that has during the draw cycle.
2: Gotcha. Okay. So, um,
1: but yeah, so that's, you know, something we look at with when we're uh, paper tuning with a limb driven, if guys are fighting some of that. Um, and then, you know, if we're fighting a, uh, three, what we call the three to nine o'clock tear. So anything horizontal, um, you know, cam lean is where we really address that. And a lot of these newer bows are, are, so easy to tune cam out of nowadays with matthews they have a top hat system we can switch around which makes it really easy um you know but pretty much every company nowadays has tried to figure out a way to control any of that horizontal knock shift over paper tuning um but i'd say probably the biggest factor that we look at is honestly just the shooter the shooter's input to the bow is what's causing the biggest variations in any of those three to nine o'clock horizontal tears whether it's 90% of the time, it's a hand pressure issue. Uh, And then the other part is the face pressure. Uh, You know, we talked about that a little bit in that first podcast, but those are two big contributing factors that we see that's creating some of those left and right paper tune issues.
2: You know, you talk about face pressure, and that's actually something the last couple of days I've been reading a lot on is face pressure. And a lot of guys with beards, you know, we kind of talked about that as well and how it can affect, but... Really getting, you know, I also, to go back, I also read about, you know, vein pressure on your cheek or your chin and how much, when your bow is at full draw, I mean, if you're, it's like an 85% of that, that pressure or the, I guess it would be the um, tension is off the string. Is that correct? I mean, that's kind of what I was reading and you could almost, it's almost like you're pressing the bow, like the string I mean, just yeah. the littlest movements can make huge, like huge. effects, and I yeah. didn't realize
3: that. Yeah, I mean, if you take if you took a so I in my, in my in in the little bit of engineering stuff that I did right when we would measure bow's tension from static to full draw, there's a big load shift in cables and the string. And when you run a higher let-off bow like today's bows are, 85% all the way some, I mean, think TSE said they were some 90%, that string gets so slacked at full draw that, yeah, any sort of pressure on that string deflects it very quickly. Um, And at the end of the day, as long as you're consistent, it doesn't matter, right? Say a guy's got a big old burly beard and big old face and he's burying the string into it. If he does it consistently, then you can tune the bow to that the problem is is we're all humans and we're not perfect. Right. And so we make mistakes and so to try to avoid all those little variables in your favor, that's the goal, right? And face pressure is one of them. That that's a big deal that if you can do it consistently, have at it. I mean, you look at some of the pro archers out there, they bury their face in the string but they do it pretty consistently and it works for them, you know, within accuracy specs that they're happy with. Um but when you're chasing paper tears, there's so much that can go into it. Um, you know, you first you start with the bow. Like Jeremiah said, you square it all, get it as best as you can. Then you look at the archer and his interface with the bow and seeing, you know, what, what kind of input is he putting into it, right? If it's slight input, right, he's a little left or a little right, that horizontal stuff, I can move a rest a little bit in or out to fix that or, or one twist into one side of the yoke or the other that's pretty simple. But if it's drastic, then a lot of the times it's the shooter's hand placement.
1: Yeah. One, one other thing that Cody just kind of touched on there that we fight a lot with face pressure. And one way you can identify that with paper tuning is, you know, a lot of times we'll be back working with a guy and they'll be shooting and they'll be shooting, you know, say a, a right handed guy shooting knock left with a lot of face pressure draw we will have customers draw the bow back but not anchor we'll just have them draw the bow and hold it but not have the string touching their face they don't even let their hand touch their jawbone and shoot the bow through paper like a shooting machine would okay and we've had times where guys will pull back and shoot an absolute perfect paper tune without any face pressure and then as soon as they draw back an anchor we get it you know we get an inch knock left hair so if the guys think that he's fighting that because we'll see guys will bring their bow in where They've buried their center shot and their rest clear into the riser to compensate for face pressure. And so for guys that are at home trying to paper tune, that's a test to see if it's hand pressure related or if it's face pressure related. If he pulled that string away from his face and shoots it and he still gets a knock left hair, then it's either hand pressure or cam lean. But if you if the tear immediately goes away without anchoring, we we identify that as one hundred percent a face pressure issue. Gotcha. Yeah.
3: Okay. That's the quickest quickest way to find face pressures is doing that right there.
2: Okay. So now, if you're, let's say you have a little bit of camline, let's go back to some camline. And I know you were talking about you know Matthews has a top hat system, and yep. I, I know it varies from bow to bow. We can pick a bow and go with it. But to to figure out if you have camline or not what are some steps that, to figure out if you have it or not?
3: Um, So that's really, that's a, that's a loaded question because it, it, there's many ways to measure it, right? There's, there's laser systems. I know Spot Hog had a laser system out one year that you could put on one cam and shine the laser to the other cam. Um, but a, a lot of them are tough because there's a shift from brace height to full draw um, on cam lean because risers going to flex, Cable guards are pulling to one side of the bow. The cable guard's on the, usually on a right-handed bow. The cable guard's on the right-handed side. And so there's a lot of flex guards out there that they've designed to try to reduce that, that pull on that side of the bow. But it's really hard to completely get rid of it. And so with cam lean, you look at it at brace height, right? And what you can do is just to kind of eyeball quick reference. Again, just a reference is if you take your arrow shaft, okay, usually I line it up with the top cam. You take an arrow shaft, put it flush against the top cam, and you point the tip of the arrow towards the loop. Okay? okay. You want that tip or field tip, when it crosses the string, you want it to dissect perfectly in the middle of the field tip at the knocking point. Okay. At, at your loop. So when, um, when
2: that field tip is at the loop, you want the string to be right in the middle of the field point? Yes. Okay. Yes.
3: Yep. That's a good starting point. Um, most people are like, Hey, I want it to be parallel, right? I want that string to run perfectly parallel with, or that arrow to run perfectly parallel with the string. Um, but typically what we found with, again, face pressure, hands input, bows riser flex, starting with the field tip in the middle and dissecting the loop, that's, that's tends to be a pretty decent spot. Um, for me personally, I don't get too worked up about how the cams look at brace height. I more care about how they finish through paper, right? Because yep. um, when you draw, there's going to be a shift. A cam's going to start one way. As you draw, it's going to lean the other way just due to those forces at hand. It's going to happen. Um, I don't know of a bow on the market yet that draws perfectly square from brace height to full draw.
1: They all are going to flex. They're, get, they're getting better, though. They are. We've seen a yeah, like improvement better. over that in the past couple of years. But, yeah, they're not, they're not 100% yet. I got gotcha. you.
2: Okay, yeah. I was just curious of uh, some steps that you guys take. You know, for guys, I know a lot of guys that'll be listening to this will be guys that are tinkering at home. You know, and just right. some ways that they could to listen to this and take some tips from it and everything. So yeah, I, if, if
3: if you want your bow to shoot right, so there's those guys that just for some reason they love looking at their center shot, right, and they love seeing that arrow just straight down the pipe, if you will, right. Yep. And so if they shoot through paper, say they have a little bit of a left hair or a little bit of a right tear, right? But they don't want to move their center shot because they just they just like it. It looks pretty. It looks it looks good down the middle. Um, say like my Hoyt, for example. If I shoot that through paper and I get just a little bit of a left tear, right? But I don't want to move my rest. Well, what I can do is throw that bow in the press, and I'm going to twist up the side that the arrow tore to. So if it kicks a little knock left, I'm going to add – A twist and i can i usually will just do small amounts at a time i'll add a twist to that left side matching the tear but you're talking about the
2: cable yoke right yes the split
3: yoke at the top of the bow yep um but anything that i do to one side i do the opposite to the other side to make sure that my cam synchronization is good so if i get a slight left hair i'll put usually one twist into the left side of my split cable and I'll take one twist out of the right side of my split cable.
2: On the bottom or staying on the
3: top? On the top. On the top. On the okay. hoits, on the hoits, on the hoists, you only want to use the top. You don't want to use the bottoms. Um, most bows, 90 percent of the bows that have a string, bus cable, split yoke type system, and then a control cable. Um, you always want to do the split at the top. Okay. Um, to, to start. There are some two-cam bows, the old style kind of two-cam bows where you'll have yokes on both top and bottom. And and has got some of those. You definitely want to make sure that you're you're kind of watching both of them. You don't just want to do everything to one. That's that's another level of you kind of want to make sure that they're both doing the same thing on top and bottom on that type of bow. Yep. Um, if you're running a Matthews, you're going to shift the cam with the top hats um, to get that same effect. And you can do that on the Matthews. That's a really, that's a really genius system. The way that the Matthews top hats work, because you can either shift only the top cam, or you can shift the top and bottom cam equally. Because the way that that spacer system works is they come in a family, so you can shift that cam left or right, very small amounts, evenly if you wanted to, and do the same thing. You shift it towards the tear um, to clean it up before you shift it the other way, depending on what your tear's doing. And so yoke tuning is one of those things where, um, it, it's, it's easy for the trained guy, but it seems a little overwhelming for most. Yep. If they've got decent hand pressure and they're not torquing the bow too much, usually you can get away with it by just moving the rest to fix a lot of your problems. Um, but for some reason, people just don't like seeing their rest outside of center. They think it's the end of the world. Um, but it's, it's, it's not uncommon for that rest to be shifted, you know, three quarters, 13 sixteenths, an inch sometimes on certain bows. Um, and so yoke tuning, yoke tuning is, is a definitely an advanced thing to do, but if guys want to try it, just remember to twist the
1: same side that the tear's going. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I think one quick thing I'll just touch on, like we see a lot of this, the guys that are tuning at home, if they don't have a bow press. You, I mean the only option that guy has is to move his rest and that's it puts a band-aid on a lot of the issues so you know for guys that are listening to this if they're at home and they want to they're trying to clean up some paper tunes without the use of a bow press moving and twisting like what Cody said like a yoke on a on a Hoyt bow or the top hats on a Matthews that has a much greater effect on arrow delivery than just adjusting the rest back and forth so We'll use, we will use the rest adjustment in micro amounts to, to fine tune, but majority of the tuning for left and right is in that cam lean. And so with a guy that doesn't have a bow press, uh, if you don't, the best you can do is take it down to a pro shop and, and have them fix that cam lean for you. Because you, you have to be able to press that bow to be able to fix those issues. Yep.
2: So basically what you guys are saying to move the rest, you guys are doing that like last kind of, if you have to, like if it's center shots, good, you're trying to do
3: check your boxes with everything else before you go to that rest. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Because the rest will move. Like if I'm shooting, you know, it's hard to visualize it, but if I'm shooting a a eighth inch tear in any direction, right, just a small eighth inch tear, I can usually clean that up with a rest. Right? But if yep. you're shooting like a half-inch tear some way, that a half-inch is hard to clear up with a rest. I got yeah, you. Yeah,
1: you. you'll, you'll, you'll usually run out of adjustment. Yeah, you run yeah, out of clearance issues.
3: Yep. Um, you'll either hit the riser or – you know you, you can't necessarily go too far out, but a lot of the rest just runs out of adjustment when you go that too far out. And then um, rest is also important too uh, when, you, when guys start broadhead tuning, right? You, you talk paper tuning. Well, if a guy wants to go bare shaft tune – or he wants to go broadhead tune, you're gonna get way more movement out of fixing cam lean in those types of situations than you will moving the rest. Gotcha. Like Jeremiah said, Okay. so guys sometimes will bear shaft tune through paper, right? Not just fletch. They're like, I want to bear shaft to tune through paper, but then they'll go down range and they maybe they don't even believe in paper tune. There's some guys that don't even believe in paper tuning. A lot of your target archers they don't they don't care for paper tuning. They'll just go shoot the bow, eyeball the center shot, eyeball the level, go shoot the bow, and then they'll group tune. And when they're group tuning, they're doing essentially the same thing. They're moving the knock point up or down, left or right. Um, and then they're changing yokes to do what we're doing through paper, but they're, they're actually doing it by watching the groups. And so having somebody that's got a bow press is a, is a huge deal. If you want to go to that level of tuning. Gotcha.
2: Okay. Very cool. I I think we covered everything I wanted to cover. Am, Am I missing anything big that you guys think that we should hit on here? I know we're coming up on time here. Is there anything big that you think?
3: Um, no, I think, like I said, I just want to touch again on uh, don't panic. Uh, a lot of guys are reading forums and reading this, and, and if your bow's not at zero degree, 90 off the string, and center shot's not perfect, then your bow's broken.
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> – I had a bow one year that was tuning that way and uh, it was tuning an eighth inch knock low to get a good paper tune. And, and I, he lost his mind. I did. I could not <laughs> get that pass. Like this is not right. Something's wrong. And, but he groups at 140 yards. So and Cody's like, what? just, What's you know, wrong? he said, just go shoot it. Just go shoot it. And I, and I said, fine, you know, I, cause I was going to send the bow back for warranty. I was like, this is something's wrong here. It's just not right and um i told him i would have just sent it back and told him it was him yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah i mean i i set that up it was an eighth inch knock low on the arrow and man that bow shot great that year i mean i i shot fixed blade broadheads at 80 yards and they shot great Holy so cow. I, that was a that was a great learning experience for me that year to go okay like th- there's sometimes there's within everything there's a tolerance and there's room for it's all yeah, relatives yep so yeah, for guys that are, you know, I just wanted to tell guys that story because I've had that experience myself, and it was eye-opening for me. And yeah. so now when we're tuning bows, like, we, we're a little bit more lax on that. Like, if they can stay within a reasonable range, um, bows still shoot, man. At the end of the day,
3: it just matters what it does downrange.
2: Yep, for sure.
3: Right? Within within reason. I don't, I don't get too worked up about it. I go and I get stuff close. If my tip of my arrow shaft, right, if the tip shoots within the fletching in a paper tear type of scenario, if it's not kicking way out one side or another, I don't care. I start there and I go shoot it. And then I see what it does. And we're a little bit more advanced, right? If I'm out there shooting groups and I'm just not seeing that nice round circular group that I want, I can bump the rest, you know, a little bit down. Usually I'll start with bumping my rest down, give it a little bit of knock high, Um, just a smidge and sometimes that'll tighten your group up. And so some of my best shooting bows, like my Vegas bow right now that I'm shooting for three spot indoor stuff, it tears horribly. (laughs) It doesn't fit straight at all. I think it's kicking knock high left, maybe about an inch, but that thing just pounds. And so it's a little different when guys are shooting broadheads. They're a little bit more picky, right? But at the end of the day, don't panic see what your bow is actually doing right before you get crazy and sit in the tuning room and lose your mind like jeremiah was doing just go get it close get a decent paper tear and go group it sometimes you'd be surprised that it it shoots just fine because the bow is going to repeat right the bow is the machine it's going to repeat you you got a good arrow shaft that's fine correctly you got decent input into the bow don't don't panic about the numbers don't freak out about making sure that everything is perfectly set sync wise. And there's so much more tuning we could get into. Cause like I said, some of the bows that I shoot, my top cams a little bit fast, right? It's not perfectly synced or I don't have the most perfect bolt hole through paper. Um, but it groups down range. I gotcha. That's,
2: that's all valuable information because I've actually learned some things on this, this podcast about the limb driven rest and how to, you know, tweak that a little bit and how that could change things. So I th- I think I think we covered all the bases there. So, yeah, for sure.
3: And then we could do one that gets into uh, bear shaft tuning at hundred yards.
2: Let's do that. Let's do that. That's yeah. going to be coming down the pipe because <laughs> I want to get into some bear shaft tuning.
3: Right. It's a uh, yeah. It's it's one of those it's one of those either you love it or you hate it kind of deals, yeah. right? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not shooting a bear shaft at an animal. I'm not shooting a bear shaft in any scenario right to to score or to 3d or or anything so i'm kind of on that side to where i've gone down that road i've played with it but for me i'm shooting a fletch shaft at whatever i'm doing so as long as that's doing what it needs to do i don't care about the other stuff for right sure. and the, the other stuff is to just eliminate variables right if my arrow shoots really good without fletchings then the fletchings are working less right they don't have to work as hard um it might be a little more forgiving But at the end of the day, it's how how geeked out do you want to get?
2: Yep, for sure. Well, cool, fellas. I'm going to let you guys go. I know you need to get to work here and I appreciate you guys coming out and doing this. And let's stay in touch because I think there's some more things we can definitely touch on here coming up. um, Absolutely. You know, in the near future and and uh, we'll stay in touch and we'll cover those bases as well. Right. Sounds good. Thanks, boys. I really appreciate it.
3: You bet. Thank you.
2: And there you have it. A lot of details in about 45 minutes but you can always go back and re-listen to it and write things down I know and I was telling these guys a lot of the listeners of the fall podcast like to do their own work at home on their bows so I think this is a good one I had a lot of people dm me after the first part one went out and said really like the content and can't wait to get farther into the weeds with it so hopefully this one helps as well jeremiah and cody and i were talking about possibly doing another one so if you guys have any questions on anything you would like to know from these guys that we might not have covered just shoot me a dm or or you know write me on facebook or instagram i'll get it write it down and we'll have another podcast about covering those things that you guys want to know so just write those down send them to me whatever you got to do and we'll get them covered so i appreciate the support like i said earlier in the podcast Go to Podbean, go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and leave a review. It's much appreciated. And thanks again, and we'll see you guys back here next week.